1: Hello, Trojan fans! Hey, welcome to episode number 252 of the Peristyle Podcast. It's a special edition of the Peristyle Podcast coming at you from San Antonio, Texas. We apologize, we did not get to do a show Monday right after the USC Sun Bowl loss to Georgia Tech and we took the week off uh, during the Christmas break. We are in San Antonio. I'm going to come at you today with not Harvey High, not Denver, but... Gerard Martinez, USCfootball.com, National Recruiting Alex. Say hello, Gerard. Hello, Gerard. (laughs) So we're here in San Antonio. We weren't able to uh, work the phones to get some some magic from Coach Harvey Hyder did when we were after the game. So we're going to answer some of your questions that were sent in about the Sun Bowl. But we will also be talking about the Army All-American Bowl. That's why we're down here in San Antonio, Texas. 13 future Trojans USC commits are participating in the Army All-American Bowl here in San Antonio. That will be on Saturday, noon local time on uh, NBC, so you can check that out. 13 guys, I think it's, is that a record, you're right? I think it is.
2: That's a record, if it sticks. Of course, going into the game, 13 commits. Coming out of the game, hopefully for USC fans, 13 commits. Yeah, uh,
1: and who knows? Maybe Not after the game, one more, but uh, Eddie Vanderdoes was, was another one. He was the 14th guy. At some point, they're also on a, a player or two after that. So, who knows what's going to end up happening? But as of now, 13 commitments uh, for USC um, at the Army All American Bowl. So, we're going to get to some of your questions. If you have questions for us, you can always email us podcast at USCFootball.com. You can go to ParastylePodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page. A little pop up box should say send a voice message. You can click over there for that. Or if you want, call us at 206 888. Six seven five five. I do apologize. If we won't be able to get to any voicemail questions today, but we got some written ones. Just do some te- technical issues. I don't have my little studio set up like we do at home. Traveling light here on the road uh, in San Antonio, so we're going to get through some of your questions. And first part of the show, we do want to talk about uh, the team. Uh, USC lost to Georgia Tech, twenty-one to seven. Um, if you saw the Peristyle, if you saw Twitter, if you saw Facebook, it wasn't a very positive experience. Gerard and, and we have kind of a unique you here, because we were here with those 13 USC commitments, and I know you got to talk to, to some of them afterwards. Maybe we can start off with that. Uh, they were practicing. Uh, practice was going on at the same time of the game. They Some of them got to watch the, maybe the fourth quarter. We got to see, you know.
2: I think mid-third quarter.
1: Mid-third quarter, I think, it was about the time we got home. Uh, but what did the recruits have
2: to say? Well, it was interesting, because uh, it, it was a feel And being here representing USC, or I should say representing USC from a a journalistic standpoint, a coverage standpoint, everyone looks at us as, oh, well, those are the USC guys. And it was a bit awkward even for us, I think. A lot of questions, a lot of jokes, and you can only imagine what it's like in the players' lounge when you've got all those you know, 80 Army All-Americans, you've got a lot of guys committed to other schools, Uh, no one committed to Georgia Tech, uh, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Several other schools that had better seasons, and a lot of people just looking at the USC commits like, why would you go to USC? You know, USC is you know supposed to be this great team, and they were supposed to have a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, and they completely folded this year. And so there was a lot of those kind of questions. And I think the word that described uh, how the USC commits were feeling at that point was really just embarrassed. I, I think they were embarrassed to try to have to explain. You know, why USC could not beat Georgia Tech, why they could only score seven points against the team that was given up, I think, what, 453 yards a game defensively. And
1: 30 points a game defensively they gave up.
2: And yeah. the, the one thing that's a positive in all of it is that the USC commits were kind of sticking together. And they were kind of as a group. And I ran into a group of about, uh, you know, five, six guys. Um, and uh, they were just walking in the players' lounge, and they said, hey, guys, I just want to kind of, you know, talk to you a little bit about the game, see if you saw much of the game when you got to the hotel. And the first question that they had for me before answering many of my questions was, what happened? What happened to USC? And obviously, I'm not there to give information so much as get information. And I said, well, what do you think happened to USC? And, uh, and there was varying opinions, and, The offensive guys, you know, Khalil Rogers being the most vocal of that group, uh, felt that, you know, it was it was a team loss and that uh, the defense didn't necessarily step up a whole lot. The offense needs to play better, but the talent is there for the team to evolve. The defensive guys very clearly were ready to point out that the offense only scored seven points and that the offense has struggled for much of the year. Kenny Bigelow, Chris Hawkins you know, Chris uh, grabbed my microphone right away like it was a regular TV microphone and started telling me exactly what was going wrong with USC and what's going on with the, uh, the, the lack of uh, offensive production. And so, you know, the guys definitely had a, a visceral reaction towards that loss, and there's a lot of peer pressure down here, and I think that's something that uh, that weighs on kids. Now, asking them, you know, the the million-dollar question, the $20,000, not the $30,000 question, mm-hmm. it's the million-dollar question is that, does this affect you? Does this change your idea of what USC is and why you want to go to USC? And I would say the risk is resounding. No. I think the one thing about this class is many of these guys committed to USC because of USC the school, because of USC academically, because of USC from a networking standpoint, from USC as location, from the people at USC. Football is a big deal. Don't get me wrong. But I think that there's a lot of branding. That goes on with USC. And despite what Pat Hayden said, that Notre Dame is the only true college football brand, I don't think these kids believe that. And they committed to USC because they love that brand, USC, just like you like NFL, Dallas Cowboys. There's certain brands that get thrown out there. And for these kids, they bought into that. So a guy like Jalen Ramsey, I think he was less emphatic about his staying solid in his commitment. He wasn't as emphatic as even Jason Hatcher wasn't as emphatic as. Sue Cravens or Stephen Mitchell or some of these other guys. But his choice of words was very interesting to me. And I talked about this on the instant analysis yesterday with Courtney Rowland. I think with him, he talked a lot about I hope nobody decides to decommit. I can see it happening. I can see why they would want to decommit that the season has just been that bad. There's reasons to decommit. I just hope nobody does. So not necessarily speaking so much for himself, but just saying that he hopes that no one else does. Kind of sees that he's still in that corner of USC and looking at it like I'm going to USC. I just hope that the guys around me want to come with me to USC. So we'll see how it plays out. But I think overall, uh, the guys still feel like the loss, what it means to them is more playing time and more
1: opportunity. Yeah. Opportunity is the key there. And it's when we, I saw so many of these things on Twitter, and people, there's a lot of people that. I don't know if you know this, Gerard, but there's a lot of USC fans that aren't big fans of Lane Kiffin. Did you know that? I
2: I didn't know that. I thought they were totally, totally all about Lane effing Kiffin. (laughs) Let's take a new connotation now. Right. So there's a lot of people
1: (laughs) that that hate Lane Kiffin, and the problem is that I think people take things to the extreme. And you could argue – I mean, people think that because I'm saying you can't just hijack every thread on the peristyle and talk about how Lane Kiffin is terrible that I'm defending Lane Kiffin. I mean, if you read my Twitter – if you you know read the stuff I write on the I'm very critical of a lot of the stuff, and actually most of the things this year that Lane it did last year wasn't really off the field problems. Ten and two, big wins on the road against Notre Dame and Oregon. You got to give them credit. This year, it's been a dumpster fire, and I've I've been critical of him. But what what people do is they take it to extremes, saying like, well now all the, the commits are going to go away, recruitings in the toilet. It, it it couldn't be any further from the truth, and I think you have to. I'm not defending Lincoln, but I Kiffin like what he's been as a coach and people are saying, well, it doesn't matter what kind of five stars you get if you don't turn them into great players. And, you know, all that stuff is true. But if you're looking at recruiting, which is what we're doing right now, he's doing things at a historic level. He's recruiting guys to a program that can only sign 60% of a class that other schools can do. They can only sign 15 where other schools can sign 25. I mean, that's 60% of what a normal class would be. And somehow we're talking with some of the Rivals people, and they're like, well, if they get this guy and this guy, they'll probably be the number one class and no one can touch them. And the fact that they can compete for the number one class and pretty much everyone that they're signing or, or going to sign is in the, the Rivals 100. It's not even not even like the Rivals 250. It's like everyone is it's a big deal. That's something that, I mean, yes, you can get players when you are at USC, but even some of the Pete Carroll classes, they weren't like this. I mean, this is pretty historic. So I just I have an issue when people are trying to bash Lane for everything when I guess you could say if you hate supreme pizza and you just you hate it so much that you don't admit that you like cheese on your pizza. Yeah. But if you like cheese pizza, he's doing something well and he's recruiting not just well, but at an extremely high level. So you have to give him credit there. But yes, there's so many other we're going to get to these other problems that are happening as well, but he is recruiting at an extremely high level, which we haven't seen before.
2: Well, fans have to understand that word fan comes from the word fanatic, and it really comes at this point in time when you get on message boards and people do take extremes, and they and they, they want greatness or they want nothing. And, and right. you got to understand that there is definitely so much gray area and so much more complicated, and it goes down to everything. And, and there's never that clear, okay, this is how it is, this is how it is, and, And I think that's, you know, definitely a good point into, okay this already, you know, okay the the recruits are all going to leave and and everything is going to, you know, crumble around USC and Kiffin. That's not going to happen. You know, even if it did happen, quite frankly, I don't know why anybody would be panicking over it, because if your whole argument is that, you know, five stars don't matter and they don't need talent then you shouldn't be worried about them losing anybody because they need a bunch of three-stars because evidently the three-stars and the two-star guys are the guys that uh, end up beating USC, and it's not really about talent. And I actually tend to agree with that side of the argument that, you know, if if they were to lose a bunch of different players in this class, at the end of the day you kind of shrug and go, okay, but they still got a lot of talent on the roster. It's really about making sure those guys get the job done. And you can definitely make – The argument that you need depth and you need certain things to be of that elite level in football. But at this point, USC has taken a step back. You know, they won those 10 games. You go to the next season, you start to think about the elite levels of football, a national championship, playing in the BCS, going undefeated. Next season, you're talking about beat UCLA, beat Notre Dame, get into Pac-10 play and start to look competitive against the better teams. It becomes a different mentality, I think, for teams, obviously, it's a different mentality for the fans, expectation-wise. Yeah, and
1: that, that – so it was kind of a recruiting question, I guess, but Melvin wanted to know, are we going to at least see mass decommitments? The answer is no. Melvin, it's, it's these aren't fans. They're looking at this as an opportunity. When I I talked to Khalil Rogers and Kenny Bigelow about it yesterday, and they were both very honest, and, you know, it, it's kind of a we thing. I talked to Max Brown about it, too. I mean, they're talking about USC like it's we, it's Exactly. Us, but
2: choice of words is there. always important. When yeah. you do this for a living – and you're 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 looking at this from a reporting standpoint. You're trying to read into what these kids are really thinking, which is difficult. You got to look at those little things, yep. and, and the choice of words, and using we and, and defending the team in, in an interview. It always it always stands out to me.
1: And it, but it's different because unlike you, if you're a fan and you say that you know it's we it's USC and I love USC and and on and on. As a fan, you can't do anything to make it better next year. These guys are optimistic because. They're not there. So, yes, these are my brothers. These are the guys that I – they're my children, friends, and, and family and all that stuff. But they're not able to help the team right now. So they look at it as, well, when I get there, things are going to be different. And I think that's just part of what the, what the thinking is, that, you know, these get, these kids are going to actually be part of the team next year. And if Khalil Rogers thinks he can make the offensive line tougher, uh, then, then so be it. I mean, that's, that's something he's going to have an opportunity to do. Where the fan, obviously, you can't get involved like that. Uh, but so it's definitely just just the, the thing is, these aren't fans. These are recruits. Seven and six, yes, fans want to jump off a bridge. Doesn't necessarily make a recruit want to jump off the bridge or, or go somewhere else because there's something they can actually do to change that. And it can be looked at as an opportunity for a lot of these guys. But I want to get, to, we're going to do some of these team questions first. And then I want to talk about the Army Bowl. And uh, I, I think one of the things, you know, we just kind of talked about and one of the questions you kind of get um about this team was really on the offensive line um how does this team get tougher up front is what sean in las vegas wanted to know what can they do in the offseason i think that's been one of the issues and uh you know obviously recruiting could be a big part of it bringing in some more big bodies but what do you think about that
2: yeah it is tough i think recruiting does become a part of it because depth wise if you want to practice stuff if you want to hit if you want your guys to get a lot of reps in rotation, you've got to have a rotation. And USC doesn't have much rotation. I think that's the first point. Second point, uh, I think the shell game of trying to find tackles and guards and moving some of the guys around from a personnel standpoint, maybe the choices haven't been that great. Um, I, I think that maybe they need to move some guys that are playing a tackle into guard and they need to find some new offensive tackles. Uh, whether they exist on the roster or not, it remains to be a question. I think that's a tough place that they've been put on. They lost Kyle Murphy and Anders Pete last year as recruits, two five star offensive tackles, both went to Stanford. I think that hurt because one of those guys was going to end up being uh, that next Matt Khalil, uh, maybe Tyron Smith type recruit for USC, and they were going to be a legitimate offensive tackle for USC. USC has a roster full of guards, and I've said that time and time again. And no matter how much weight uh, Andre Walker loses, I don't know if he's really going to be a Pac-12 level left guard or left tackle. Um, I think that they're kind of trying to fit some score pegs in around round holes there. And, uh, and, and you know, there's been a lot of questions about James Craig and where he fits in with the future of USC. Um, that's open-ended. You know, we just have to kind of see if, if Lane Kiffin makes any big offensive moves. You know, there were some questions that were kind of given to him by the media in regards to that. Are they going to fire anybody? Is there going to be any moves? Are you going to hire an offensive coordinator? And like Kiffin basically said, we don't have room to hire an offensive coordinator. I don't know if that's necessarily answering the question, are you going to get rid of any of your offensive staff? But it does kind of hint that there is not going to be any major changes, I think, with the offensive staff. So we'll see. I mean, is there a magic Answer: Is there a magic pill? Is there something that they can just do differently? I don't think so. Other than just gamble and say, you know what, forget. You know, if guys get hurt or not, we got to practice harder. We have got to do more hitting. We have got to change some things uh, from a mentality standpoint at the practice level, and hope it carries over to the game. And uh, and if guys get hurt, they get hurt. I mean, that would be the only thing that I could see them, you know, being an on and off switch uh, in regards to that.
1: It's weird too because you know we were talking about practice. They pl- they played tougher. They were doing these goal line things where offensive alignment and defensive alignment were going at it for the ball practice, different than what we saw in the regular season. And I you know unfortunately we can't have Dan Weber on, but we we watched these. It's like okay, it looks like they're practicing differently, and it looks like they're doing it better, more of the way you would want to do this to be tougher. Yeah. And that didn't really translate. to to think they're on the field.
2: Georgia Tech kicked their butts up front, just like Notre Dame kicked their butts up front. And there's going to be some obvious personnel moves, and maybe that improves some things. You know, sometimes offensive line, just from a chemistry standpoint, you can make a couple moves, and it it definitely makes a big difference. Uh, But is it going to be, you know, the culture, the the overall mentality, the toughness? It's hard to say what is going to work and what should work, and I don't have this you know, real, um, real over emphatic opinion about what they need to do. I I think that uh, there's some things they can do. And then there's some things that, uh, that, like I said, are a little bit, a little bit of a gamble. You know, if you, if you want to practice harder, you can do it in the bowl game. You know, you've got that week and you've got that month of practice and and there's a little, and you you don't have a game after, you know, the Georgia tech game, you can go at it harder, but it still didn't work. So then again, You know, personnel standpoint. I call it Holmes, talented guy, but he played bad this year. He got beat up by uh, Lewis Nix and and Georgia Tech. Both made him look bad um, consistently. And obviously when he wasn't there in the Stanford game, you know, Cyrus Hobby stepped in and he looked terrible uh, against Stanford. I mean, let's just call it what it is. He didn't perform well. So, you know, I mean, I don't know what you do. You know, uh, uh, John Martinez is going to be a guy that, I think a lot of people would like to see him play center. Um, you know, maybe that could be a, a, something that would, would help USC. Call, you know, Cole Rogers is a recruit down here, the guy that could end up maybe playing center. He's playing guard right now. From a mentality standpoint, he's a guy that, you know, while he's going to be a freshman next year, and I don't know how much of an impact he can make as a freshman next year, he's a guy that from a mentality standpoint will come in and be tougher. I mean, he's physically, just attitude-wise, going to come in and maybe set a certain amount of tone. Unfortunately for USC, they just can't take a whole bunch of offensive linemen in this class uh, to, to be able to just, you know, bring in this whole rotation of guys that are coming in hungry and are just not going to be pushed around.
1: Uh, next question we had: some people wanted to know about Cody Kessler. Um, we reported that he had about 50% of the reps in practice. Why wasn't he in the game? Uh, he did get 50. He did get about half the reps in practice, and we saw him. I've always liked them. I mean, I, I, I like both guys, and I thought Whitting played pretty well against um, Notre Dame. Against Notre Dame. I mean, that was one week to prepare. There, this was four weeks to prepare. Was it over coaching? Was it? I, I have no idea. But he looked awful, and he would you were seeing receivers dive all over the place trying to catch passes that were nowhere near uh, where they were. Why did he not get in there? I, I can't answer that question. I mean, Lane Kiffin said that he has an extremely long leash. I'm actually going to write a story on on this and just kind of USC backup quarterbacks. It's really not been something where we've seen other programs where I mean, UCLA for years would bring in their third and fourth string guy and have him throw for 300 yards and, and play really well. But that's not something that's been happening at USC uh, lately. I, I really felt that there was some definite times in the third quarter where, okay, five, three and outs in a row, you, you bring in the, I mean, it, it's time to bring in. So it's just to change things up. I don't think you're going to kill Max Wittig's confidence. Uh, I think, People have described it as a pitcher gives up 12 runs in the first four innings and you're leaving him in there. I think you're doing him more of a disservice than if you took him out. And, you know, I think you could make things better. He could have, if Kessler comes in there, you still have momentum going into the off season. Now, obviously all that momentum is dead. Um, But yeah, why Cody Kessler? I I don't know. I mean, I felt he should have at least been given a chance. Did you you feel the same way, Gerard?
2: I agree with the saying, if, you've got more than one quarterback, you've got no quarterbacks. I do believe that from a seasonal standpoint, you know, the rotation of quarterbacks. I think it's hard to be able to have, you know, two guys and not have a main guy and your offense to be efficient and you to be able to have a leader on the field. In that game specifically because Whitick is not necessarily solidified as a starter, um, you know, other than just being named the starter going into the game. At that point I would have liked to see Cody Kessler I don't know why they didn't have Cody Kessler get some reps. You know, in terms of the game, it was windy. It was difficult to pass the ball. USC was getting beat up front, so they couldn't really run the ball. Um, Although they actually did have pretty good yards per carry. And and, and towards the second half, they actually got uh, some some pretty good runs there by Silas Red. Um, But, you know, it looked like USC felt like they could pass the ball. The conditions did warrant it. The one thing that Cody Kessler gives you is a little more of ability to scramble. Um, But, you know, sometimes at that point you get a coordinator or coach that gets a little tight on the calls because the game is close, and the game is close throughout, and you put a new quarterback in there and sometimes that can just destroy – it can open up on you real quick because he throws an interception, he fumbles the ball, he's coming in cold, he's trying to do too much. You know, he's trying to push too much to be able to make that play to show everybody that he should have been named the starter going in the game. So, you know, you're you're really kind of sitting on the sidelines hoping that, when it just gets it together, he hits a couple passes. All of a sudden, he gets some rhythm and bang, bang, bang. The offense gets going again. So again, it's kind of like that. You know, a lot of fans have a very deci- decisive opinion on this, and it's one way, and this is the way that it is. I kind of see both sides of the argument, and I can understand why you don't necessarily just throw Cody Kessler in there. I would have made the move. I would have put Cody Kessler in there, but I can see the argument by Lane Kiffin. Uh, not an argument that he necessarily made, but an argument on his side of keeping. Uh, Max Whitick into the game. Okay. again,
1: speaking of Max Whitick and Cody Kessler, we got to see Cody Kessler here at this Army All-American Bowl two years ago. And uh, Max Whitick played in the Under Armour game, the other major bowl game. And both of them, you could have argued, were the best quarterbacks uh, yes. at those, those work. respective All-Star games. So, I mean, two really good opportunities. And, and Max Brown, who we're going to see a lot of, we've seen a lot of this week already. He's the West quarterback. Here, a five-star, he has a chance to actually be named the number one player in the country. Probably won't happen, but he's, he's up there, you know, a top five kind of guy. So we're going to see him. He'll be in in the spring, and there'll be a, a, a really major competition this spring, so it should be a lot of fun.
2: The biggest issue, I think, for USC fans is, as you said, was it overcoaching? Because you bring Winnick in for that Notre Dame game. He's got a week to prepare. He played well in the Notre Dame game. Yeah. I, I saw him, and I said, wow, he's, he's throwing the ball deep. Accurately, that's something that USC had not had all season with Matt Barkley. He looked like he could really make some plays, and then you give him a month as uh, the starter, or at least he probably knew he was going to be the starter for a large majority of that yeah. time with Matt Barkley being out with the shoulder injury. And he came in and, and he looked, you know, reminiscent maybe of, of Aaron Corp to some extent, and that really—that's that's not a good thing, you know, when you have that much time to prepare and you look that much worse than, you know, being able to just come in late. I mean he looked he looked a lot worse than he did just you know, coming in at the end of the UCLA game. Yeah. You know, when he's not coached and it's and it's just him and he's going out there and he's riffing and he's just playing, you know, as as himself and hey, this is just Max Whitick, I gotta come in here and, and try to make some plays. He did well, and then all of a sudden when he has his time to prepare and they're going through the playbook, you know, the commentators, which are both buffoons as far as talking about USC football, you know, (laughs) CBS Sports knows nothing about USC football from that standpoint of being able to call a game and be, you know, articulate about USC football. They were talking about the inexperience that he has and how limited the playbook is. Listen, football one-on-one, you don't walk into a game with your whole playbook. You don't walk in there with your 500 plays or 400 plays or how many plays that you have in your actual playbook and say, okay, Let's just pull something out of the back pages. You always have a script. You always have a very limited amount that you put in install for each week from that bigger playbook. So he had a month to prepare that playbook as a whole for the Georgia Tech game. He knew that playbook probably pretty well. I don't think there was all kinds of restrictions, and you know, it wasn't like USC has this other part of the playbook where they, you know, run the spread option and they just couldn't do it because Max Whittick didn't know that part of the playbook going into the Georgia Tech game. That's not the way football works.
1: And speaking of the spread, uh, we, Chris had a question um, talking about the quarterbacks that can actually move the ball, you know, scamper. We've had some people that want to run the spread, and I don't, I don't think that's going to be – that's not going to be changing anytime Lane Kiffin's there, so you don't really have to worry about those questions. Sorry, they're not installing the spread next year. But his Chris's point was a little more uh, interesting where what about quarterbacks that can just take off and run the ball? Even if you see like a Tom Brady or a Peyton Manning, He's like, what do you, you guys think about SC not uh, presenting this as a threat to defenses? Did you notice the same thing at all, especially during the Sun Bowl? Some attention need to be put there. And I think it's a good point where it doesn't have to be part of the playbook, but if you see the opportunity, and I think it happened a lot in the Sun Bowl where they're playing tight man coverage and, and just really getting up on guys. And if the guys are, you know, Lee and Wood are downfield with a couple defenders on them, it's wide open in front of Max Wittek. And it's not like Max Whitick is not an athletic guy. Cody Kessler, both of those guys are more fleet of foot than, than Matt Barkley is. But I don't know. Is that part of the it, – it's just – it doesn't seem to be something that these guys are, are taught to do. And we saw Matt Barkley do it really on a rare occasion. But both Kessler and Whitick, I think, could have opened things up a little bit more if they would have been able to run.
2: Yeah, they, they both can run better than Barkley. I think Kessler is a good margin – uh, more athletic from a scrambling standpoint than Whitick even. Design-wise, yeah, it, it, it's something that you could play in the playbook if you see something that the offense is, or excuse me, that the defense is doing. You know, if they're playing in a in a cover two type scheme and those linebackers are just just running away from the line of scrimmage, trying to get back in their zones, you know, the middle of the field is open, quarterback can take advantage of that and run some ball. That would be Uh, more of a play-calling thing that, you know, you put on the coaches to be able to see that during the game and you make that adjustment and you take advantage of that. We saw a little bit of that, actually, uh, not this season, but the season before against Notre Dame where Matt Barkley actually got a few yards scrambling and getting some, some, some running yards there, got a couple first downs, and taking advantage of that. And that is just something that, you know, I think he saw, and it wasn't necessarily a design thing, but you could see if USC had somebody that was a little more athletic maybe that would be a little more confident in actually designing something like that throughout the game uh, from a you know recruiting standpoint of going after guys that are athletic. Look, you, you want to get guys that are athletic, but you want to get guys that can throw the ball. Everybody sees RG3. Everybody sees Cam Newton. Everybody sees these quarterbacks that have been successful being spread option quarterbacks, but it's still hard to find those guys too. It, it's hard to find the great pro set style Carson Palmer, Mark Sanchez type quarterbacks. But it's also hard to find those guys like RG3. I mean, we've seen with Auburn. I mean, Cam Newton left, and that program pretty much imploded in back of I him. Mean, they didn't find another guy to just plug in. Tim Tebow left. Florida imploded. They didn't just find a guy just to plug him in and go, oh, yeah, he can throw and he can run. Yeah, they'll have the best of both worlds. You know, uh, Stanford has been very, very uh, successful at being able to find guy that could come in for Andrew Luck. And they're kind of trying to, you know, Kevin Hogan, they're trying to kind of bring him along a little bit. As a freshman, but he's had his struggles as well. Is he going to be the next Andrew Luck? Is he going to be as good as Andrew Luck? Time will tell. But they've had at least some success uh, to being able to bring in a guy that can run and can pass. And I think that's more what USC maybe they put more value here coming into the future with guys that can scramble a little more and do have uh, some athleticism and maybe not just we're just comfortable going with a guy that's a great pocket passer and kind of taking the attributes of running the football out of the equation.
1: All right. We do have a few. Man, we're like a uh, 30 minute mark. We still have a few more. Let's. Get, we're going to crank out a few more team questions here. Then we'll get to recruiting. Uh, we'll do we'll do. try to do rapid fire. OK, even with the interception by Dawson, Lamar Dawson,
2: does he deserve to keep the number 55 jersey? That's from Melvin. What do you think, Gerard? No, I don't i I think that he was given the number fifty five jersey coming into camp, and I thought that that was something that Lane Kiffin, from a policy standpoint, said he wasn't going to do. He said that uh, he wanted his players to be able to earn those numbers, and I think if you're going to have that policy, you got to have it across the board
1: yeah it, it definitely and they the defense played better when Hayes Pillard was in there at middle linebacker, so that'll be another interesting storyline to watch this spring. uh you know, you got a couple of sophomore linebackers, going to be junior linebackers. Will hayes Pollard move to the middle? Will they move De- Deion Bailey to uh, safety? We'll see what all that kind of stuff does. Uh, let's see, Frank in Orlando. Uh, over the past year, Pat Hayden become the athletic director. I noticed that the major sports programs have declined. You want to know if Pat Hayden should take any heat here with USC basketball, USC baseball, and <laughs> USC football. Yeah, football last year was good. This year, obviously, you know, Not so good with the 7-6 record, but should Pat Hayden take some? I know Kiffin gets a lot, but does does Pat Hayden need some criticism, too?
2: Well, Pat Hayden gets criticism, so, you know, he's the head man of the athletic department, so he's going to get it, and I think it's justified. Uh, You know, to what extent, obviously, is is the question. Um, He hasn't made any hires necessarily yet. You know, he didn't hire Kevin O'Neill, he didn't hire Lane Kiffin, and I think that's going to be kind of the, the greater... Uh, question: When he actually goes into hiring some of these uh, coaches, that then you start to your, yeah. your name starts to dangle out there, and all of a sudden you make some bad hires, then you get uh, fired. And yeah. so right now it's, there's criticism just because you know you're involved with the, the process of uh, the athletic program, and, and you're involved with keeping those coaches, or, or you know a guy that like Kevin O'Neill obviously a lot of USC basketball fans just think he's no business being a yeah. coach right now. Not firing him and not taking action is being criticized. Um, But you know, to what extent do you you know criticize Hayden for not firing him as opposed to criticizing Kevin O'Neill for USC basketball not winning? That's debatable.
1: Yeah, and uh, you can't look to men's tennis who won four national championships
2: in a row and not a major sport. Men's water polo won five national championships. (laughs) Not a major sport unless you are a guy named Woody who posts on the.
1: Yes, he's a big fan of that. Yeah, so, so the Olympic sports have definitely been doing well, but the big ones and the money-making sports and
2: – Shout-out to Woody.
1: Yeah, especially especially the one that USC fans care about most, USC football not doing so well there. Yeah, I mentioned yes. that Woody is my favorite post well. Oh, that's nice. Okay. Uh, and he's a water polo fan, so I think five championships in a row he's pretty tipped, uh, happy with. All right, two more quick ones. Well, it's probably not going to be quick, but JJB – Simple. Has Lane Kiffin lost control of this team? No.
2: No. No, I don't think so. I think there's lots of rumors about that. I think people like to think that because it makes uh, the the move to fire him more explainable and easier and it's more cut and dry. Again, we see how the fans want to make it cut and dry. Unfortunately, it's not. But I don't think he's lost the team. Quite frankly, the team has not given up on him any of these games. you know, USC's not been blown out in any of these games. You know, you could say that the Oregon game was getting away from USC, but at the end of the game, they came back and actually, you know, made it a closer game than maybe the game really was. And so that tells me that they've not given up on him and that they still like to play for them. So my answer would be no. Uh, yeah,
1: I mean, I, I don't think it's it's completely lost and that. There's still a great staff there, and I think a lot of the players are into that. The, the fact that they're still recruiting as high as they are, I think that's a good indication of that. But certainly, there are problems, and... I think it's a lot of it's going to come down to Lane Kiffin and every major head fo- college football coach has to have an enormous ego. You have to have confidence in what you do, but when you go seven and six um, and you have the talent to go 11 and one or 12 and one or t- 10 and two or whatever. I mean, they definitely had the talent to do that. Uh, you have to kind of look to within. I think it seemed like he was a little reluctant to, to let his dad go, uh, but that's something that needed to be done. We'll see. Real soon, who they're going to end up hiring as a defensive coordinator, we'll see if anything changes on the offensive side. The fewer changes, I mean, the less likely I think things are going to change. But, I mean, you could argue that last year he did it that way, and it worked at 10-2. and But I would argue that he did things different this year than than the previous year because he wasn't trying to uh, just get really down to the details and, and worry about what the media was saying and worry about all these other things I think the pressure of being number one to the start of the season got to him a little bit. He did things differently. He goes back to being a little bit more relaxed in the way things were. I think the team could have a lot more success. There is a lot of talent on this team. You can't argue that, that, that there's not. I mean, there really is. There's going to be a lot of guys that play in the NFL. You should have to, I mean, it shouldn't be that hard to figure out a way to get those this talented team to beat teams that don't have as much talent on it. If you, if you can't continue to do that, then it's coaching more than anything. I agree. All right, uh, and then one last thing on the team stuff, and this is could be part of it. Are the kids having fun? Uh, Steve in San Diego wants to know. Steve in San Diego. Do you think that, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's much fun to lose. Uh, and I think that's
2: pretty pretty much the answer. Yeah. Losing is no fun. And if guys are having fun while they're losing, then they need to be gone. So yeah. it's a very, very simple question.
1: And I, I think that the team was having fun through camp, and I think they are having fun even the struggle in the first couple games. But after that loss to Stanford, I think everything stopped being fun. And you you felt like, and I really felt that this was going to happen during the ball practices, they got that fun back. And it was a little, there was more of a There was, there was. The young
2: guys especially, I think the enthusiasm and, you know, trying to kind of, you know, set yourself up for next year and trying to go out on the positive note, we definitely saw intensity and energy in in those practices.
1: But whatever reason, I mean, they came out and played as bad as, they played all year. Uh, just a debacle. I mean, you can't describe it in any way at the Sun Bowl. that embarrassed by a 6-7 and seven really bad ACC team that gives up a crap load of points that played some really terrible teams and gave up points to them. And USC, with two future NFL wide receivers and an NFL quarterback, just alone should have been able to score more than seven points. So, yes, all right, well, uh, I'm sorry we didn't get to have Dan Weber or Coach Harvey Hyde on, but we want to talk some recruiting as well. Um, I guess we can, uh, since we're here at the Army Bowl, like we talked about, 13 commitments are here. Um, there was a potential 14th who decommitted before Eddie Eddie Vanderdoze, or Doze, I keep saying does because it's the way it's spelled, but uh, Eddie Vanderdoes. Uh, you know, one, one thing, one of the, the offensive linemen is here, Nico, we've been saying Nico Fala, I heard him say this week, They go for law.
2: Yeah. Sometimes he says
1: that, I think, but I've heard it differently. But overall, Gerard, we've seen two practices. We've seen these guys check in. uh, It's not just that USC has guys that are committed to playing this game. They have guys that are like some of the best performers that are playing in this game
2: committed. Yeah, I I think the guy that stands out first and foremost for the West team is Stephen Mitchell. We just put up an update with him, and he's been – uh, both the most consistent and explosive receiver that the West team has, and the West team has good receivers. The West team has Ricky Seals Jones, the West team has Derek Griffin, uh, two of the most imposing, most athletic receivers that you're going to see nationally. And Stephen Mitchell's a guy that can either, you know, make the simple catch underneath, be consistent, or he can go ahead and be a guy that separates deep and makes that big play, or he can, you know, catch the ball underneath and make a big play out of a short play. So he's been a guy that uh, has been really fun to watch. It's been fun to watch him take over from his senior season, which he was excellent and pretty much unstoppable against everybody he played the whole year. And uh, I think he's been a guy that's definitely stood out. Maybe a surprise for some people yeah. uh, that has that has stood out would be Chris Hawkins. Um, again, against those big receivers, a lot of people thought Chris Hawkins was just going to get pushed around. You know, Chris Hawkins is, is about 5'10", 160, 165 pounds. Uh, certainly doesn't, you know, not not Jalen Ramsey, big, you know, athletic guy, six foot, 190 pounds. But he's been holding his own against those big receivers and, and really been playing really well. First day I had him in my top three performers for the West team. The second day we didn't watch the West practice, but the guys that were watching the West practice put him up there in the top five uh, of performers for the West that day, too. So you're talking about a guy, again, being consistent. He's a big time trash talker. He loves to get in everybody's ear. But right now he's backing it up. And I think that's really important. Um, Torani actually had a good day yesterday as another surprise performer to a yeah. lot of people. Torani is only about 205 pounds. You know, he tells people he's 215, I think, just because he wants to be 215. But he's not 215. Uh, he's still real light. You look at his legs, he's got to put on a lot of weight. I don't know how much weight he's going to be able to put on. But he's got to put on a lot more, I think, to make an impact in college. Uh, otherwise, he's going to be more of that kind of Michael Morgan guy that's going to have to go through the system. And maybe as a junior, into his senior year, he'll be able to you know, start to contribute. And play more, um, but he has played well down here and, has, and showed you know some, some some flashes at least, and that's good because uh you know you want to see guys be able to produce on the field and contribute against this high competition.
1: Yeah, um I, I, it's funny Stephen Mitchell you mentioned he's kind of like a highly rated underrated guy. Like he's it's not like he's not highly rated he is, but he's never the the first person you're going to talk about when it comes to wide receivers. When we go to the opening, we go here any that's camps we go to he's never the first person you think of but usually afterwards he's the the last person you're talking about because he's usually performing really well I think he's kind of like this diamond in the rough if you can have a four-star receiver be a diamond in the rough
2: yeah and I think that's you know his size and he's also one of those guys I think people are very cautious about blowing up because his name has been out there for a while you know he's a guy that is a sophomore was doing some great things at Bishop Alamany and so people were just real cautious about you know, making him into the next you know, normal divine or, or somebody that just comes along. Even Dylan Baxter, where you talk about him in high school, you talk about him. But athleticism-wise, when he gets to that college level, he's just not able to do those same things. I think his speed is just to a point where he can pretty much do what he needs to do to be an explosive receiver in college and be a guy that, again, you know, can take that five-yard, little bubble screen, I know USC fans love the bubble screen. Take that and, and, and make something big out of it, maybe even bigger than a guy like Marquis Lee. He's very sudden, he's strong for size, and he's quick and he's smart. And so he's kind of shown that, you know, at this level, at the Army game against this Division One type competition.
1: Now, we, we're talking about the West. I guess we there's two players from USC commits on the West. Uh, the breakdown is the West squad has nine players. The East squad has four. We'll talk about the East after, but um, – Two players for the West uh, aren't going to be playing. Well, at least one is not going to be playing. Maybe a second, I don't know. But maybe kind of give people an update on those two guys.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think Kylie Fitz is going to end up playing in the game. Uh, they were looking for uh, a wrist um, brace for him because he earned, he injured his wrist uh, back uh, during the season and actually broke two bones in his wrist. And he's pretty much healed from that. He's you know doesn't walk around with a cast or anything. He's got a you know titanium rod in his wrist. Uh, but they want him to have a brace, and they haven't really found a brace for him. And because he's going to be an early role and a guy that wants to participate in spring ball for USC, I just don't think he's going to play. Same thing with Sue Craven's rotator cuff injury. Uh, He injured that, actually, in the Chaparral game, uh, that game where he had some ridiculous catches and hasn't really been the same since, according to him. I mean, he had a pretty good playoff run and played in the playoffs, uh, but he went down for his official visit to USC, and they talked about it with the coaches and uh, they advised them because they need him. They really need him to be able to be healthy for spring ball that uh, they want to be able to, to make sure that he doesn't re-injure that in this game. So he's been sitting out of this game as well.
1: Uh, now, a bunch of the players that are here have already signed uh, guys like Justin Davis. They've signed a paperwork, uh, you know, Max Brown. They, these are guys you don't have to worry about. Chris Hawkins, you don't have to worry about. If they're going to come to USC or not, they've signed. They're coming to USC. We've talked to them. There's no issues there. A couple of players on the West squad that you know, there's some some questions about Michael Hutchins, the the linebacker from De La Salle, and uh, Nico is another guy that has kind of come up. Anyone else on your mind? Maybe talk about those two guys if you think there's any you know what the talk is here about them trying to maybe go someplace else.
2: Yeah, I mean, really, it's Washington for both those guys. Uh, you know, Nico Falas kind of been talking about Washington. Uh, pre the army all-american game you know took that official visit really liked it um but then kind of coming in to san antonio when we talked to him at registration sunday he pretty much said you know i i think i'm just gonna go to usc uh, he didn't say that he was dropping washington but it really seemed like he had kind of dropped washington in his mind you know has washington kind of come back into the mix a little bit for him you get the vibe maybe you know he's gonna st- continue to take a longer look at Washington than maybe he was ready to with USC losing. Some of these kids are definitely more front runners are definitely more influenced by the ebb and flow of recruiting and, and influences from what other people say. And I think Nico kind of falls in uh, to that, uh, to to, to that category. A guy who's not really necessarily influenced is Michael Hutchings, but I think with Michael Hutchings, he had a relationship with Posh Lapoy at Cal, who was a defensive line coach at Cal. Now he's at Washington and that's kind of carried over and he's going to take that official visit to Washington in January. And then possibly he'll take an official visit to Notre Dame later. We'll see how that happens. Notre Dame's filling up pretty quickly. And I don't know how high they actually are on Michael Hutchings. So, you know, Hutchings have been talking about Washington a little bit. Notre Dame's in there too. But at the end of the day, I think it's really a Washington-USC battle. And I think for both those guys, still, USC, you know, the coaches are going to fly in here Saturday. They're going to talk with these kids. They're going to have all these unofficial um, kind of in-home visit type things that they have after the game. And you'll see some things start to solidify, I think, from that.
1: Uh, Let's talk about the East, I guess, a little bit. We got to check out the East practice yesterday. Um, Day one of East practice was kind of interesting because USC has four uh, commitments. you got the five-star cornerback Jalen Ramsey out of Tennessee, uh, two Maryland kids that are USC commits, five star Kenny Bigelow, defensive tackle, four star offensive lineman, uh, Khalil Rogers, and, uh, then Jason Hatcher, um, out of Kentucky, another Kentucky kid, uh, four star, uh, defensive end. Uh, so those four guys were over there, and, you know, the, the first day when we didn't go to the East practice, but the, the two best players, they said the two star performers, of that day where both USC commits, Kenny Bigelow and Jalen Ramsey on a really talented East squad. So for USC to have two, but when USC is not even in the East, they're in the West and they have the two best players that are on the East squad. I mean, that, that was a pretty impressive day, I guess you could say
2: two of the best players at two of the better positions for the East. And I think outside running back, which is stacked for both teams, you know, the defensive line for the East is very good. And the quarterbacks for the East are, are fantastic. I mean, you were talking about Jalen Ramsey, uh, McKenzie, Alexander, and Kendall Fuller, which are three of the best cornerbacks in the nation. And Ramsey is clearly the best of that group. And he's been the best player maybe for the East the past two days. And that's saying a lot. I mean, at the end of the day, people talk about him number one corner in the nation, but maybe a guy that there's an argument for being number one player in the nation right now. Uh, he's been very dominant. You know, he's got the speed and he's got that height. But I think the thing that's the extra added bonus is, one, he's a smart kid. Um, I think he's a kid that's very focused and he kind of understands uh, work ethic and he's, and he's very low maintenance from the standpoint of ego. Uh, but the other thing is physically, you know, he has those long arms. And I think a lot of people, you know, with the speed and with the size, they kind of don't realize, you know, he's very high cut and he's got very long arms. And he really, you see a lot of plays where he's able to get his hands in there and knock balls away, strip balls away that other players wouldn't be able to do physically. And I think that's really impressed a lot of people because he's around the ball and he's able to get his hand on a lot of balls that other players can't. With Kenny Bigelow, you know, the first day he dominated. I mean, he just did whatever he wanted to do, and everybody was just raving about his ability with the pads on that first day. Second day we watched in the morning, he was good. I think he was better than a lot of people said he was, but he definitely wasn't as active. And I think with Kenny, he's one of those guys that, you know, he's going out to prove something, he's got a chip on his shoulder, he's going to blow it up. But then when he kind of sees that he's, you know, approved something, he's he's accomplished something, and he doesn't necessarily have that chip on his shoulder, it can kind of coast a little bit. And he coasted a little bit in the morning. And it's funny because his defensive – his actually his head coach, who's his defensive line coach here for the East team, Dwayne Thomas, laid into him. And we're watching Dwayne Thomas, and everybody's going, this guy's just awesome. Like, this yeah. guy's
1: amazing. Like, it was just, freezing. He was in shorts and a T-shirt. And there. he's
2: yelling at these guys. I mean, they ended up doing conditioning drills afterwards. He's got them going through bag drills. He's getting pissed off, and he's
1: yelling at them. You're doing do push-ups if you didn't do the drill right. Like, it was – yeah, it was not like an all-star game
2: practice. It was like, it was like, Ed Ergeron. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly the the connection that I made when I talked to him after practice. and said, you know, you got Kenny going to USC. Do you see that kind of being as a seamless transition with you having been his coach at Eastern Academy and Red Lion, and now you're getting him over to Ed Ergeron? And he, which I didn't know, has known Ed Ergeron for about 20 years. And he says, I, you know, that going through that, decision-making process and helping Kenny make that process, I wanted to link him up with a guy that had the energy, the motor, and the the, the sustainability of a guy like myself. And that guy is Ed Erdron. He goes, I I have my neck or I have my arms around Kenny's neck. I'm hugging him. Sometimes I'm choking him. It just depends on the day. And Ed Erdron is going to be that kind of guy too. And so, you know, you, you see that with Kenny where he goes through those moments where he feels like, okay, I've done what I needed to do to prove that I'm a great player. And he kind of starts coasting and starts to kind of loaf a little bit. You need that guy that's got fire in him, that's going to be on him, it's going to push him and motivate him every now and then. Dwayne Thomas is that guy for Eastern Academy. He's been a guy in Kenny Bigelow's life for a long time. He's handed him over to Ed Erdron, and Ed Erdron's going to be that kind of guy in college. And, and I think Kenny Bigelow needs a guy like Ed Erdron to really be the great player that he can be in college.
1: So, yeah, some impressive USC commits over there on the East squad. I I filmed Jalen Ramsey. There wasn't a pass. Every time I isolated on him, there was no one ever caught Yeah, they
2: threw the ball at him in one-on-ones because they have to, and he knocked both those passes down and really kind of just pushed the receivers around. I mean, physically he just kind of pushes guys around and and just dominates them that way that, you know, I'm just better than you and stronger than you, and so, you know, you're not going to really be able to do much against me. And then they go to seven-on-seven, and the quarterbacks don't have to throw the ball to his side of the field, so they don't. Yeah. which is saying a lot because the other guys you're throwing at are like McKenzie Alexander, who I love as a cornerback. And, and, uh, and then you've got Kendall Fuller. who's a five star. I think is actually rated right now ahead of Jaylor Ramsey. <laughs> so it's like, wow, you know, talk about pick your poison, but you know, the poison that's the worst right now is Jaylen Ramsey. Um, all right, then there's some, some news from the,
1: is there anything well, before we go on to the, we have a, one question on the Under Armour game and there's, we there's a topic we have to talk about that broke today, but, Anything else from the the Army Bowl that you wanted to share that we talk about or?
2: No, I think um, it's going to be an interesting game. I, I think from the standpoint of the game and how it goes itself, which is sometimes the least important of what anybody really yeah. wants to know about the actual who plays and who's going to win the game. Uh, but the one thing I jumped out to me, the East quarterbacks are horrible. They're just bad. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know those kids personally. and I hate to say, you know, they're all bad or anything, but just right now how they're playing performance wise. They really couldn't throw the ball at all, and and it just was one of those things. You go, they're going to have to run the ball. And Derek Green was really a guy that stood out. Yeah, Uh, he's a stud, stud. and 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 I think the interior line blocking for the East is something that was really good yesterday. Uh, I I think you saw guys like Khalil Rogers and Brian Cabano uh, doing some really good things against Kenny Bigelow, against some of those interior defensive linemen that the East have, and they were springing some holes open for. Uh, Derrick Green and Derrick Green was definitely processing he, he seems to be understanding the offense better than the other two running backs they've got the East team's got Derrick Henry and they've got Greg Bryant you know Derek Henry is going to Alabama he's the 6'3", 6'4", 235 pound freak of nature uh you know spark champion um that uh you know is, is really tall and a lot of people kind of wonder if he's going to be able to play running back in college but then you got Greg Bryant who's going to Notre Dame the guy who's just you know anti, basically, Justin Davis. You know, Justin Davis has got all this room to grow, and you look at Greg Bryant, you go, okay, that guy's kind of, you know, really, he's, he's kind of where he's going to be in the next three years as far as in terms of muscle and, and how big he's going to be. Both those guys kind of were there, and they kind of did some things. It's like, okay, that's nice. But Derek Green was the guy. And it's funny because Derek Green was the guy that actually had contacted USC and talked to USC about officially visiting, and USC said, you know what, thanks, but no thanks. We've got our two running backs in Ty Isaac. And Justin Davis. And Justin Davis, we didn't talk about him much with the West team, but still love him. I think he's, I think he's gonna have a great game too. I think he's actually gonna surprise some people and have some really good runs. It really depends on, you know, what the offensive line is able to do. But he can make things happen on his own much more than I think people gave him credit for. And again, potential wise, 17 years old, he's gonna be 220 pounds easy once he starts to get into college. I think he's a, gonna be a great running back selection for USC. Uh, Ty Isaac will kind of see another guy that's very tall, very big, uh, but USC seems to think the world of him. So it'll be interesting how that plays out. Uh, maybe people, you know, if it doesn't work out for USC, I'm sure they'll come back with revisionist history and say, oh, they could have had Derrick Green. Yeah, Derrick Green was ready to commit, and they, they they stayed with Ty Isaac and Justin Davis instead. That's not probably true. I don't know if Derrick Green was really serious about USC, but they could have got him in on an official visit. Right. Uh,
1: that's a far cry from getting him to sign on the dotted line come uh, National Signing Day. Uh, we want to talk about the Under Armour game. USC had, well, had uh, two commitments participating in the Under Armour game. You mentioned one, uh, Ty Isaac, and the other one, Sebastian LaRue, came out. He tweeted today that he has decommitted from USC.
2: You see my face right
1: now? Yeah. <laughs> they my, can't
2: see that face on the this, podcast. This, but I'm asking you, can you see my face? I can see your this face. This is my shocked face
1: right now. Okay. Okay. It's, okay. Doesn't look that shocked. <laughs>
2: Uh, Yeah, it it was something that we knew was coming, and and it was sort of a Jadon Mickens-type situation, which I think that's a good way to just kind of label it from now on. We're just going to call it a Jadon Mickens-type situation. It's a Mickens situation, Uh, and that's kind of what was going on with LaRue. LaRue wants to play wide receiver. He's not going to play wide receiver at USC, period, in my opinion. I just don't think he's that level of talent. He wants to play receiver as a true freshman, which is really, really not going to happen at USC. I think he would have to play corner. And, um, you know, just didn't really do much at the Cal State game at all. And I don't know what he's doing at Under Armour. We're not in Orlando. But I, I tend to think this is a parting of ways. You know, officially it's a decommitment and media is going to look at it as, all oh, USC loses another one and they lost to Georgia Tech and all their recruits are jumping shit. But this was one that could have happened, you know, quite frankly, just a month after he committed. I, I think USC got real excited and kind of almost – you know, talk themselves into maybe uh, getting his commitment over the summer because he had a good camp. And it was one of those things that I think, you know, from a coaching standpoint, you want to bring kids in for these camps and you want to give offers that at your camp. You want guys to come to your camp, perform, prove themselves, compete. And when they do that, you want to reward them. And I think that's what USC got into with Sebastian LaRue instead of really taking a step back and going, where does this guy, you know, where does he fit in for us long term? And if he's a cornerback, you know, does he want to be a cornerback? Does he have the passion to play cornerback? Is he a true football player that wants to go out there and be the next Nickel Roby? And the truth of that answer is no. I mean, it was a resounding no when he came from the camp before he committed and after he committed. He wanted to play receiver. He at himself as a receiver, and that was not going to happen at USC.
1: Uh, okay, we also had a question from JD of DC on Leon McQuay. Putting on the spot, Gerard, he announces on Friday. Is he a Trojan?
2: Wow. Um, you know, a prediction wise, I, I'm leaning towards USC still. Uh, obviously, that loss, you know, it, it, it was a bad loss. And you just don't know how kids are going to take it. You just don't know how families take it and the conversations that go on behind the scenes. But I think, again, talking about the USC brand and all those things that, or aside from football, you know, I think he likes Los Angeles. I think he loves the music department, um, the sound engineering. Those aspects of his decision are going to weigh heavily in USC. I think is the clear leader in those aspects. Um, I think Dad obviously had his reservations, but I think the official visit definitely smoothed some things out. Um, from what I understand, it's USC and another school. We're going to get a little more into this in the war room. Right now, I would have to lean towards saying I think he's going to go to USC. Wow,
1: pretty interesting. Well, okay, so now USC only has 14 commits, 13 of them happen to be Army All-Americans, which is kind of crazy. It's a pretty high percentage of their recruiting class. Um, Like a team like Oklahoma has no Army All-Americans, and they're Oklahoma, which is right next to Texas. So, uh, and USC's commitments are from all over the country. Well, they were right
2: next to Texas, uh, except for the Texas game.
1: (laughs) Yes. They were were not, that was not a close game. No, Um, but... So there's there's some spots opening up, there, you know. There's some potential names out there. I guess the we, the one we glanced over though before we let everyone go, is uh, the Eddie Vanderdose. Uh You know, talk about him. You know, he was a commitment. He isn't anymore. Uh, there are 13 guys that are committed to USC. All of them seemingly talking to to Eddie this week. Uh, does that change his mind? Like, what do you think's going on with with him? I mean, there's there's a lot of pressure on him here. To, to go back and, and go to his USC commitment again?
2: I think with Eddie, it's, there's some similarities there with Nico as far as wanting to be a part of that new thing and the thing that's really happening right now. And let's face it, that's not USC right now. You know, that USC has to get back into winning. They've got to show some promise. they got to do some unexpected things on the field. And then people start to get excited, and then you can get back into the, hey, you know, we're going to build this dynasty up, and we're going to do all these things like they did after that 2011 season. Uh, I think with with Eddie, you know, I think he's gone back and forth. The USC commits tell me that they think that he was leaning back kind of towards USC in the beginning of the week. I haven't spoken to Eddie personally since the game. Um, And I think the one thing that uh, is is maybe going to impact his decision somewhat is USC and – the other defensive tackles that they're recruiting, A'shaun John, uh, Robinson is another guy that we didn't really talk yeah. about much. Uh, the Texas commit. Now, people feel like he's going to stick with Texas. I've heard that he was ready to decommit from Texas. He's hard to read. He doesn't say much. I think uh, he really likes USC. Uh, but whether he's you know able to get away from mom, like he says, is still a question. You know he, He's very emphatic about that's not going to be my mom's decision. It's just going to be my decision. I'm going to go where I want to go. You know, if that plays out that way, I think USC definitely has a chance. And then Eddie Vanderdos definitely goes somewhere else. I and mean, the talk is that Eddie Vanderdos is, is already looking kind of over his shoulder a little bit with Kenny Bigelow. And to heat Ashawn Robinson on top of that would make him feel like, you know, he's not going to be able to play that three technique. And that's kind of where he wants to play. So, you know, we'll see how it plays out. I think, um, you know, the school it has got to be, if it's not USC, The team to beat would be UCLA. He's going to go out to Notre Dame. He's going to go to Alabama. I just don't know if I get a sense for him. You know, competition-wise, that's something that, you know, Notre Dame's definitely got uh, two pretty good players coming back at Knicks and to it. Um, So, you know, it's not going to be a lot of early playing time there for him at Notre Dame. And Alabama's always stacked with defensive linemen. I mean, pull them out of, you know, all kinds of places. And so I I kind of think it kind of comes back to to UCLA and, and USC and you know maybe Washington sneaks in there, and, and you know some people kind of don't talk about Washington, but Tosh LePoy is able to get some guys and, and steal some guys, and maybe UCLA and USC start fighting over VanderDose and going after each other, and you know the the you know Lepoy and Washington's able to pull the robbery on them.
1: And VanderDose can play. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's a very when you talk about decommitments, you can't just say that.
2: Oh, we didn't the want them anyways type thing.
1: That's no, the, that's yeah. not the case with it. Like for Larue.
2: Yeah, I'll, LaRue, yeah I, I mean, I'll make it very clear right now. LaRue and Eldridge Massington are not the same level, uh, decommits and not the same type of decommits for USC as Eddie Vanderdose and Max Redfield. Yeah. Just not not on the same scale. And losing Vanderdose is big for USC. He is a guy that could definitely, you know, be a rotation guy as a freshman. Um, he's big, he's thick, uh, he's strong, he's very quick. Um, you know, I don't know if he quite has the upside athleticism as Kenny Bigelow. You know, Kenny's kind of a freak of nature. But Vanderbilt is sneaky. You know, Vanderbilt kind of gets you and you don't think about it. You don't, He doesn't look like the big cut guy uh, that, that's going to be able to, you know, do all these athletic things and, and be as agile as he is. But he gets it done, and he's played very, very well in the last two West practices. So uh, that's definitely a loss for USC, no doubt about it. Yeah,
1: definitely. Different kind of decommits, like Gerard said. All right. Well, hope you guys enjoyed. It's a little different. I do apologize. We kept, You know, Technically, we couldn't get Dan or Coach Harvey Hyde on the phone, so we just decided we'll just tape this podcast here on the computer, right in our hotel room, right in the middle of what everything's been going on. So hopefully you got a good sense of what we felt about USC's bowl loss to Georgia Tech and, of course, what's going on with recruiting here at the Army All-American Bowl. You can check out uscfootball.com. We've been putting up a ton of... Of content. Gerard's been dropping lots of scoop on the message boards. The uh, war room on Friday should be really interesting. I think there'll be some good stuff in there. But again, thank you very much for tuning into the Parastel podcast. Thank you, Gerard, for, for coming on.
2: Thank you for having me. It's uh, been a pretty fun uh, week here in San Antonio. We always enjoy you know, the, the access and, and talking to the kids and sometimes getting away from you know doing the interview thing from an official standpoint and being able to just kind of be around them and talk with them and, and get to know them a little more as people.
1: Yeah, we're at the same hotel with them, so just walking to dinner or whatever, you get to chat. We got to talk to a lot of the guys. I talked to Max Brown for a while about the game and just sharing some thoughts with him. So that's kind of nice on a more informal level just to get a real sense for for what these kids are saying. So the the fans out there are ready to jump off the bridge. This recruiting class is going to fall apart. And now seeing Sebastian LaRue decommit, I don't think you need to worry about that. It's going to be a ridiculously high-ranked class. So don't worry about that. You can worry about how the team's going to use these guys, but don't worry about, <laughs> there's going to be enough five-star talent that hopefully no one on the coaching center, <laughs> they'll be able to, to do something with There's a lot of material there. Potential is through the roof. Definitely
2: so. still a lot of clay to mold.
1: Yes. So we'll see if uh, he can pull, what was that movie, Ghost, when uh, <laughs> Patrick Swayze was molding the clay? With,
2: yeah, but then he's uh, playing the chick.
1: Uh, what was the girl? in Kiffin? No,
2: no. <laughs> well, I don't get it. Uh,
1: yeah. I, I, I'm, it's not a direct analogy. analogy. It's not a direct analogy. <laughs> but that was Clay. I don't know. All right. That's probably a good, uh, good time to end the podcast. So, again, thank you very much for tuning in. We'll be back next week, our regularly scheduled Monday podcast. So, again, apologize for all the delays, and we will talk to you again next week.